0: (laughs) 10-man CD, the number one super guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, I'm going to call Jimmy. Perfect. Wow.
1: Close to this mic. Yeah.
0: Jimmy! (laughs) Is everybody here? I'm in. I've got a whole list of stuff here to talk about.
1: Wait, before we start, I'd like to begin this uh, podcast with a land acknowledgement. This podcast is being recorded on stolen land. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. You should do that. You should, I, should, I should do that for everything. My you. My you. So the last time we recorded... We were talking about Kay's album, remember? And how it was going to be released soon. Yes, right. He was talking about like...
1: Kay, Kay has since broken up with the band. Oh, wow. So that's a moot point. You
0: know it's Thank been a minute.
1: The weird thing is I see his bandmate all the time now at this evil bar called Butterfly Lounge. Oh. Uh, evil bar. He has a DJ residency. Um, yeah, I think the place is a sex trafficking operation. Or at least a soft, like... They invite a uh, woman there for older, rich men to proposition. Whoa. It has pretty cursed vibes.
0: That's the strict purpose for the women to be there? Uh, no.
1: Um, Anna hosted a, a A friend was like, hey, you can get paid $300 if you host a party here, um, if you bring, like, 30 people. And she was like, okay, free money. Why not? Um, and they give you, like, bottle service, which uh, that's a red flag. Any place with bottle service is a red flag. Oh. But then we brought all our, like, you know, internet weirdos, and they were like, there's not enough uh, women with your group. We need more hot women here. To get that money. And then a bunch of the women in the group were like, yeah, guys keep coming up and asking like how much to spend the night at this hotel. Oh, shit. New York City,
0: man. So it's like straight up escort service.
1: It's, yeah. There's a lot of dark places you have to navigate in New York. Yeah. I just came from The Vessel. Have you seen that? That's another deeply cursed place that I accidentally wound up at today. First of
0: all, what is bottle service? (laughs)
1: it's better not to know bottle service is just when like you pay an exorbitant amount of money
0: to stick a bottle up your ass
1: yeah (laughs) it's serviced with a bottle bottle
0: served by the bottle just
1: for like a booth at a bar and then like a, a hot girl brings a bottle over and your your table gets like their own bottle that you can you know pour out to whoever you want to invite to like party with you
0: wow oh it's yuck huh
2: Okay, so like a strip, one of the underbelly of New York. Yeah,
1: that's not where I've been hanging out. That's just that was a one-off thing. But sure, yeah. They call me Danny Bottle Service now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's got a nice flow Uh. to it. Yeah. So what were you gonna say? There's like a club that's extra dark.
1: No, it's called the Vessel. I was just speaking of cursed places because today we it was the weather was nice, so we went out, you know, to Manhattan to like for a walk, and we wound up at the the High Line, Mm -hmm. uh which is like kind of chuggy. I we, we went there back in the day when we were in New York when it was like a new thing, but now it's kind of like a chuggy tourist spot. But we wound up at the Vessel in Hudson Yards, which is like this big, legitimately cursed art structure. Whoa. Right now, like, look up on your phone, like, hashtag the Vessel, and you'll see what I mean. You've seen it before. People tag themselves in photos with it all the time if they visit New York. But it's this weird, like, sort of insectoid-looking inverted pyramid coming up out of the ground in this already very cursed, like, uh, you know, bougie shopping center. Oh, I've seen this. I've been to this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can
2: walk up the stairs. Yeah, you can walk up the stairs. Cursed place. It does kind of look haunted, doesn't it? Like,
1: There's just something... I think something about the shape of it doesn't agree with me, and the fact that I saw it in so many people's pictures. Oh, God. It's
2: like a bad guy headquarters in, like, a Marvel movie. Exactly.
1: Marvel. It feels like profane geometry, the way it's shaped. And, and I remember thinking this before I learned that actually they keep needing to shut it down because people have been committing suicide throwing themselves off of the structure into the center so now i'm like without a doubt this place is at best ambiently demonic wow i think maybe it's like a a mouth to hell or something yeah (laughs)
0: whoa yeah it looks like to me the first thought i had was uh roly-poly (laughs)
2: <laughs> sectoid. yeah yeah
1: pill yeah. bug it looks like a carapace an, an arthropod car, carapace carapace <laughs> carapace <No. laughs> carapace yeah
0: I always said carapace
1: I don't know yeah that's probably that's probably correct carapace so that's that was my day how, how are you guys doing it's been, a lot has happened since we yeah. uh, since we last recorded. Jimmy mm-hmm. has uh, gotten married. I feel like that's the first order of business.
2: That's a big one. That's, yeah. a, that's a big moment. Mazel yeah. tov.
0: Yep, and me and Dan were the best mans. Best mans. Yeah, that was fun.
2: I think we have them recorded. We could play some <laughs> for the people at home.
0: I'm the best man. My name's Oliver. Um, I'm one of the two best men. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... So when he met this amazing girl, he introduced her to me, I was thoroughly impressed. And then when he proceeded to literally make out with her on top of me, <laughs> I figured I would slide.
3: <laughs>
0: I figured I, I would never bring bring it up in some public important relationship <laughs> for it years later. <laughs> He was a small couch. and, and uh, <laughs> I was just—I was just so damn happy for him that no amount of awkward lovey doveyness was gonna take that away. And these two had an abundance of awkward lovey doveyness. All right, hi everyone. I'm Dan. I'm the second best man. Not, not the second best man.
1: The second best man. <laughs> Before we start, uh, my dad asked me to reiterate, if anyone missed the service, uh, male and female reproductive organs. All right, with that said, you know, there comes a time in everyone's life when they meet that special someone, their soulmate, who they'll share everything with and love for the rest of their life, and that time came for Jimmy 22 years ago when he met me. Um, not everyone gets a best friend who's such an integral part of their life that people often just assume the two of you are gay. But Jimmy, today, you proved them wrong. Um, our, our friend, the Dalai Lama, who we met uh, while shooting, shooting a project in India, has this to say about friendship. I'm not going to do the accent. I A good friend who points out mistakes and imperfections is to be valued as if he reveals the secret of some hidden treasure. So, Jimmy has made no shortage of mistakes, some of which I will list now. (laughs) The time he crashed his entire head through our basement wall. The phase where we got a little too into parkour. The time we got. Blacklisted from flying out of the Philippines and had to charter a boat to Manila to get back to the U.S. <laughs> True story. Um, but Jimmy, I'm so honored to be here to witness another one
0: of your mistakes. <laughs> just, kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Those are some pretty funny ass speeches, man. So that's that's an update. Yeah, those speeches were great. What else? Um, I I became a official. Um, own my own business type of guy. I think there's a word for that. Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, yeah. <laughs> but if you if you say self-employed, you kind of sound like a bum. Yeah. You sound unemployed. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm the CEO of half finishing a website <laughs> and printing business cards from VistaPrint.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm making my own business. I got a small business. You got to say that word small business and
1: It's the backbone of America. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, told.
0: So I'm a dog trainer official dog pro dog entrepreneur. Pre- Broke it with my girlfriend.
1: Oh yeah. Um that sucked. I'm going to pour one out for Thanks. your for that relationship. Yeah. On to better things. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you've been playing a lot of uh Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> here, Yeah, you heard that.
1: Now that I got that relationship out of the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the old ancient ancient remedy for yeah, a broken heart. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Play video games. <laughs> So who are you dating on Coder? Which uh, relationship?
0: Yeah, (laughs) Bastila or what's her face? (laughs) Kriya? Gotta choose. I like older women, so I'm going going with Kriya right now. You can date Kriya? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) I I didn't like, I didn't, I feel kind of icky kind of playing into any of those plot lines. It made me realize, like, coincidentally, my ex-girlfriend made me realize that it's kind of weird, you know, that they even include that kind of stuff in the game, you know. I, get, I guess it makes sense, you know, to kind of, you got a lot of lonely guys playing these games, but the fact that they have these dialogues and, like, Mass Effect that lead to intimate interactions, like, I get friendship, you want to build a friendship and rapport with your crew members, Yeah. but when it becomes intimate, it's like, wow, this is creepy, you know, so I tried to yeah, avoid... church and state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Wait, so are you saying your girlfriend was even jealous of your relationship with... Bastila and (laughs) Coder?
0: I can neither confirm nor deny that accusation. (laughs) What, I'm
1: not enough for you because I don't have a lightsaber?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my topics of the conversation. I'm going to take a more broad broad approach.
1: Broads is one of your topics?
0: (laughs) Broads. (laughs) Ooh, that's kind of an intense topic. Are we ready to get into that? Um,
1: if you're ready, it that dovetails nicely with s- some stuff that I want to talk about too, because I want to touch on like a breakup that I went through and and ways that life has changed since then. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I'll go. I'll just go right into it. Um, start out. I'm gonna start out with a little kind of warm up. So distortions. I'm learning about. So I started reading. I, I got into like therapy after the relationship, as one does. And um, even during the relationship, I got individual therapy, couples counseling, learning a lot. You know, I never did this before, so this is awesome. And uh, he introduced me to this book called Feeling Good. And it's all about, like, it's the, it's the intellectual approach to overcoming depression and anxiety. Um, a lot of people, a lot of therapists have always been like, well, you're in a bad mood. You're in a bad mood, you know. How to deal with it and like sit through it those are all really good valuable skills but there's a lot of stories we tell ourselves that uh, contribute to the depression and this guy or this group of researchers discovered that it's probably the primary cause of depression is these cognitive you know these patterns these cycles we get into we start to tell ourselves these insecure thoughts you know like um, there's just a lot of logical fallacies in them, and they become really believable if you just sit with them and you don't you don't challenge them and counter them with other more logical truths. So one of them, a good example, you know, for me is like, um, I you know can't get a girl to hook up with me or date me this week, so therefore I'm unlovable. Like that's <laughs> a pretty typical, common one. And so an example of that would be like um, <clears throat> that. That the term for that particular distortion is called all or nothing thinking, right? Black or white. So it's like because there's there's no data to show that in over the course of my life, but I believe that it's like an all or nothing black or white approach. Because I wasn't able to do something this one day or this one week, I'm never going to be able to do it again. Yeah. Another one is like uh, this. You know, discounting the positive. You know, um, there's 10, there's like 10 of them. Anyways, um, I'm noticing lately in our society, this is the top, this is the actual podcast topic that I wanted to discuss, um, that these cognitive distortions are becoming more and more commonplace. It seems in my circle of friends, people that I know, people at work, like just, I'm going to venture to say, you know, the, the entire country, you know, the entire society, you know, the way people kind of are, Falling, kind of falling into these bandwagon um, conspiracy theory approaches, you know, to life, like the whole incel culture, um, hyper religiosity—not spirituality, um, but like religiosity. Um, people getting way too into, you know, certain scientific uh, beliefs. You know, I, I, I even got in, really into like, you know, stocks for a while. I feel like we're all. <laughs> In this collective uh-huh. <laughs> unconscious,
3: uh-huh.
0: you know, our our collective unconscious is damaged, you know, toxic, in, in, you know, and it's because of we could make all kinds of of guesses as to why, but it could be um, the pandemic largely contributed. Our isolation causes a lot of these. It's a lot more likely to find a distorted framework of mind um, when you're not surrounded by a lot of people. It sounds like our preoccupations are evolving. Oh, what do you mean? That's what it sounds
2: like. It sounds like because we become more isolated, like the way we remain preoccupied, like kind of the busy mind of always having to do one thing after another, an endless series of tasks, which, you know what I mean? Just a a way to kind of stay like with busy work. It's like you fill your life with busy work and now that busy work is forced to be more done like in isolation with just you and a screen, deep dives on Mm -hmm. Wikipedia and YouTube or whatever, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or Reddit or whatever you get your, st- where you stuff. But it feels like it's just like a a way to kind of spend all of your use valuable time every day, distracted. Oh yeah. It's like there's always a, 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 a we have a huge appetite, a huge desire to consume, large, conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. that are unprovable and untestable because they can just always exist in the theoretical. We can always
0: play with them in our mind. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it takes a lot of humility to admit that like, oh shit, I've been been crazy for the last two years. And holy shit, I've been been about this one particular topic. Even if like a lot of people, (laughs) you know, the rest of their lives is going fine. Yeah. You could still be, you could still have these cognitive distortions surrounding certain areas of your life, you know. I
1: want to say that Oliver IRL, it does not always talk about stocks, but, but maybe anybody who's experiences us exclusively through this podcast has, has uh, bears witness to, (laughs) yeah, you were really into stocks for a couple, a couple episodes streak for sure. There's an era, there's a stocks, stonks era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And let's be, let's be. You know, let's be real. It wasn't just it wasn't stocks. It was one stock in particular, <laughs> GameStop. All right, stop, and,
3: stop.
0: Yeah, it was definitely GameStop. And I, you know, yeah. as I'm saying this, I still hold belief the belief that <laughs> something is going to happen with GameStop, most likely, you know, or something is happening or has happened with GameStop. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it any less of a distortion. You know, whether distortions are are rooted in some element, some aspect of truth so what's the distortion with gma like what GME, is in particular
2: yeah specifically
0: well i don't know i think it's more of like the fact that i spent so much time focusing on it yeah to the point where i became obsessive for a while you know the, that that obsession is the distortion like it's like a it's,
2: really subtle distortion it's yeah not like an overt like i must read this it's like for some reason you subconsciously keep looking into it more and more every every day or something is that yeah. is that i'm following you right is that yeah
0: absolutely like yeah. i was checking this subreddit over and over i was checking yeah. the stock price over and over i mean i it has, it's been months since i felt that way but yeah i know lots of people who fell into their own rabbit holes and um when you do it's like it becomes a intrusive thought process you know all or nothing well it must be that all or nothing thinking right yeah. um, that's one distortion but there's other ones like discounting the positive like this kind of positive of the of the people who are the enemies in this story. Yeah. You know, or that kind of stuff. It's all it's all very subtle, very in, insidious, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone yeah. taught me a term recently, they uh they said the the words uh monocausal thinking. Monocausal. And it came up in the context monocausal, yeah. It came Ooh. up in the context of like you know, like you watch a documentary where whatever it's covering, albeit, yeah. might be very true and legitimate. You sort of, in that moment, by the end of the documentary, you're like, holy shit, all the world's problems are because of, you know, whatever, overfishing or yeah, like yeah. that. Whatever the you get so about.
0: hyped. Uh-huh. Yeah, the word when for in it, fact when it, it when, 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 when a lot was of things. just, in, in the 90s, was just, oh, he's impressionable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watch Spider-Man I and I, I suddenly want to do parkour everywhere. We're, we're, we've grown up, but we haven't matured in all the ways that matter yet
2: yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: i feel like kids get kind of
2: like we'll have like their day playing as spider-man or batman playing pretend but then we kind of get caught up in these like never-ending theories and stuff that are mm-hmm. like i i feel like i'd rather be a, a kid again like revert back to that than um yeah be an impressionable adult because i feel like oftentimes people have pet theories and they get so attached to them but they don't really see anything else yeah. Word. yeah i'm sure i have some of my own i'm trying to figure out what they are right now yeah i mean i've been kind of realizing i had a lot of my own as well <laughs> I, yeah. i've been rewriting my my stories and so you kind of see uh your story in a new light when you go to it in a, you know in a cold mm-hmm. eyes
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: when you let it cool off a little
0: bit oh i like that term cold eyes, like cooled off eyes because you because the eyes of passion you know are blind and one sided, you know single-minded even.
2: yeah like you write like in fiery way and then you write cold you edit cold it's kind of and it's
0: awesome. a beautiful thing it's nothing to beat ourselves up about that we get yeah. that we get so passionate about these concepts that we immerse ourselves in them like that's a that's a that's a, a he hu- it's a human quality that allows for lots of in-depth ex- exploration and then letting it go is the next step you know and a lot of people don't yeah. let it go because they become so prideful and so immersed in it that they have a hard time letting go yeah
1: it's it's childlike wonder like that does get beat, beaten out of a lot of people but you remember playing pretend as a kid you let the suspension of belief go pretty much completely and you're in whatever world you're creating with your friends yeah um yeah. and that's beautiful to be able to do that as long as, especially as an adult, when you have responsibilities, you can come back to reality without it uh, eclipsing your reality to the point that it's uh, mental illness.
0: Yes. Yeah. Like there's a fine line. Like for me, GME, it would have <laughs> yeah. been like um, investing more than X percentage of my money uh-huh.
2: would have been a
0: sign of an illness. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. At that, at that point, I was like, oh, okay, this is getting ridiculous. You know, I, I don't care how much i feel like i see the truth in this logic there's a certain amount of money that you shouldn't invest and that's that was actually the good thing about that community is we were they were regularly checking i'll say we were regularly checking each other on you know don't invest what you can't afford to lose because there were some people that would go way too hard and invest way too much and then lose you know and then end up making the community worse you know more toxic but i know everybody else has their own thing that they developed a distortion for in the in the pandemic and it's kind of like a defense mechanism when you're in the when you're in a pandemic and like jimmy was saying you don't have that social circle and there's still ripple effect going on to this day of people with limited social circles um yeah you have to replace it with these weird obsessive fantasies because that's the way our parasocial human brain works.
2: Yeah, it's very parasocial. Dude, at least well. you didn't get
1: into sourdough starter or something like that. <laughs> sourdough starter. Wordle. Started. At least you were playing Wordle Wordle every day.
0: That's a defense mechanism. Like it's kind of like the effect of like beating yourself up when you're a child of, like uh, you know, an abusive situation. Like every child develops these uh, de- defense mechanisms for life, whether whether it's like a little bit of abuse they felt from a family member or like something at school or abusive relationship when you get older, you develop these very valuable defense mechanisms to get yourself out of it and to survive it. And then once you hit a certain age, you have to real you have to realize that real life and real human interactions are not like that. And then you have to let go of all those defense mechanisms that you developed. And that's kind of what it was. It was a traumatic event. Like people you know, people talk about—I don't think enough—that that, that uh, COVID was a traumatic event for a lot of us. You know, you know, there's differing levels of trauma, but that's definitely social isolation is traumatic. You know, Pretty sure. So you don't—you don't beat up the kid for developing defense mechanisms. You shouldn't, anyways. But um, you shouldn't beat it, we shouldn't beat up ourselves for our defense mechanisms. So I want to hear what you guys have to say about this before I segue mm-hmm. into what I really wanted to talk about.
2: I I mean I know there's a lot of new research going on about therapy in terms of trauma,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, healing, like kind of getting over and healing your old tra- traumatic wounds, and mm-hmm. and I definitely spent some of my I, I spent some of my first share of time, you know, going into that kind of the, the self healing, mm-hmm. so to, so to speak, kind of corners of the internet, mm-hmm. and I, I still I still follow some of them. I feel like there's um there's definitely like a push or trend i guess you could call it there's like a, the holistic psychologist i think i was following her for a while and mm-hmm. other kind of like modern therapy people yeah. who look at the real you know real recent studies and real recent uh concepts and just kind of seeing where therapy and psych- psychology is going
3: yeah
2: um and it, it definitely helped me somewhat but i feel like it was it ended up i ended up unfollowing a lot of those accounts because i had just it it almost started to feel self indulgent at a certain point um it it kind of felt like ultimately you end up just putting all the blame on your parents yeah for your shit and it was kind felt of like it's like a glorified excuse after a while and i kind of realized i kind of just needed to just let it go i mean I, I kind of it was like enough to look maybe it was nice you know it got me to look at my past and and kind of like make peace with it and then i can let it i could let you know parts of it go certain hard parts you know kind of move on but it feels like sometimes people when they get caught up in this like oh everything's a distortion it's kind of like what dan was saying become mono monocausal with it it's like everything must be a distortion because because that's something we all struggle with and it is to it's good to recognize that distortions are a real thing and but it, it's good to be kind of guarded against those so it's good to know that distortions are a thing so that way you don't fall for them you know? yeah but at the same time don't be so caught up in it that it's you're looking for your only thing yeah and i think for me it, when i was looking at the trauma healing stuff i i kind of became my only thing and i wasn't able to really heal myself and come into my own until i was able to kind of round out a little
0: bit more and, and kind of zoom out the bigger picture i agree and i want to say that doing a full deep dive requires for me it required going to an actual therapist or going so this book that I've been talking about mm. is a lot more substantial than a you know meme on Instagram. So J- Jimmy Jimmy, inst- you introdu- initially introduced to me all these accounts on Instagram which yeah. pulled me through a really dark place, but I too felt like there was more to it than that. Yeah and I wasn't able to get to the brunt of that until one I was motivated by the breakup. And two, I actually did the work with the therapist and the book, you know, which is a lot more, it forces you to kind of actually do like worksheets and like go through the detail of your every day. And like, I was I had a counter where I would count every time I had a distortion. And I finally, like I watched my distortions slowly go down and I felt my mood increase. And, and then I was able to look back and be like, wow, I had a lot of weird, really unrealistic expectations of myself. Yeah. And then more recently i was able to discover a like a distortion that i had from before i even had words and i've been talking about this with you know one of my best friends um about how we we developed distortions as young as below the age of two and those are the hardest ones to work with because you can't just use the logic of the of the verbiage the words to kind of overcome it like you can with all the other types of distortions. So I found that there's this one distortion that was on repeat in my mind that didn't have any words to it. And it was related to feelings and thoughts that I had when I was too young to even verbalize it, you know. And uh, that's super, that was super huge for me. I'm still working through it, you know, stuff. And uh, I think that everybody needs to go through that process. Everybody should at least attempt To go through that process of really really uncovering doing that deep work that they talk about on these instagram websites but they allude to it but they don't actually take you through it like nobody can take you through it you know you have to walk through the door you know so that's my that's my two cents about that
1: what is a distortion can you give me like a like a spark notes definition i know you you introduced it earlier but like in in simple terms It's like a a psychological process where you habitually like misinterpret um, the world or phenomena through like your, some prejudice that you've developed out of of trauma or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good, it's a really good, um, and it's not just trauma. It could just be conditioning. So there's one I first talked about, which is polarized thinking. You have all or nothing black and white thinking pattern, desire to be perfect, or you are a complete failure. Um, mental filter, um, which is, you know, focusing on the negative aspects of a situation, filtering out the positives, negative details are magnified. Um, there's overgeneralization where one single event happens, you know, she didn't kiss me or my friend, my friend didn't want to be my friend anymore. And that means I'm not, I'm not ever a good friend to anybody, you know, incorrectly concluding that all similar events going forward will result in the same positive, negative experience. And then, so you ha- you work with a therapist or you can just do it yourself with this book. It's been proven to be effective on depression as, as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy with an actual licensed cognitive behavioral therapist, CBT or DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, can be um, done for 12 weeks with an actual licensed therapist. And the effects are just as great as four weeks with this book, working on it with yourself and it's similarly it's just as effective as taking medication you know um that's just this is just one study that that they're referencing but i'm sure it's it feels it feels true to me um sometimes people need this it's called bibliotherapy it's when you're uh, you're self-motivated and you do your own worksheets and then you can refer back to it repeatedly and then you don't have to because it takes a long time you think about a therapist trying to explain these concepts to you it takes up the entire chunk of time it's like well, who's going to go to a therapist and have them just read a lecture a book to you for hours yeah. nobody you know so therapy yeah. is more about like talking through issues that you kind of figure out through for example this book the other one would be jumping to conclusions so mind reading knowing what others are thinking assumptions of their intentions with no evidence so fortune telling making conclusion and predictions with no evidence and and it can have negative outcomes. So if, if you're working with a cognitive behavioral therapist, they might ask you, "What what makes you think that? You know, did your relatives or your friends actually say these things about you? You know?" And you're like, "Well, no." <laughs> and you have to like think about it and realize, you know, I've been magnifying or jumping mm-hmm. to conclusions, and then catastrophizing, personalization, which is where you take things personally, which causes a direct and personal reaction to what others do, or even if it is unrelated, assuming you have been un intentionally excluded or targeted all this kind of stuff that you kind of they kind of allude to in these instagram accounts but they never really go into the detail that uh, that you kind of need to to really get the full benefit of this so does that make sense do you feel like you have a good understanding of distortions
1: yeah i feel like i don't need to go to therapy now because I,
0: I <laughs> yeah. definition. I'm, I'm good i'm cured that's the mist point it's time to pump up the volume all you in the area from suburbs slums and ghettos through america i'm here to break the barriers unify you and i because we kind of alluded all to this humankind earlier um but uh these parasocial experiences we're trying to fill these this void that we have of uh just not being social not having strong social circles a lot of us have that issue you know we've we've burned bridges we've not initiated connections in the first place. We've kind of forgotten about the past, gotten so focused on work and school that we've lost Mm, mm. our circles. And Mm. as a result, we try to fill that void with these parasocial activities, Mm -hmm. you know, like I know Dan, you, you've talked about this, uh, you know, Instagram, Reddit. These are all things that kind of feel like you might be having a connection with somebody, but it's not quite there. Like something's missing Like the text messaging, text messaging Mm. itself is a very really as a really good example of that because you feel like it's like a Skinner box you feel like if you push this button enough times eventually you're going to feel that you're going to fill that hole you know but you're never you're never going to fill that hole that way you have to have actual conversation like I think phone calls pretty much do it but Mm -hmm. but in in in-person conversation even better actually you know it makes yeah it makes all the difference like you can actually feel like I actually feel satisfied after something like that you know,
2: it's funny, like where's this aversion to social hanging, hangouts, you know, like what, why does that crop up in us? Why do we know when we, even we know we need it? Like, why why are we averted? It's almost like when I hear the advice, like I'm more inclined to not follow it mm-hmm. until it becomes like a subconscious or like a kind of an armed mm-hmm. link. I think sometimes people mm-hmm. can feel like they're being controlled by the rules or people who put rules on them. Like, eh, like I'll figure, you know, don't don't worry about me. Like, I'm fine. And they kind of, yeah. kind of make sense of that for themselves later, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes they don't ever come around to that and, and ever actually like, open up and explore that for themselves. So it becomes like a, an open question for a long time probably, and they just kind of, I don't know. It, it's just kind of, funny wondering where, the the impulse to, do th- like jump off, the top railing of that building and stuff. You know, mm. like why why did <laughs> why is that. Because when I was looking down to the at the um, at the image of it, there's a view that on Google, which is like a bird's eye view of that
3: thing, yeah, uh-huh. yeah.
2: and you it almost feels like you're on the top floor looking down, like what it would look like standing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very like hypnotizing the way the bottom of the ground looks. It almost draws the eye so much that Whoa. it's like you just want to jump down to it. It's like it's enticing.
0: It's kind like of enticing. jumping into a Fixing. fractal.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just distorts your sense of like uh, distance and. Your position you know
0: spatially yeah where, where does this so this rugged individualism where does it lead us it leads us to when when we're struggling not to ask for help uh-huh. with too much pride not to go to your friends and call them and say please you know talk to me yeah you know you would never say that you would say just talk to your friends and that
2: yeah.
0: that's good enough but people are so afraid to even do that because of the cognitive distortions yeah telling them my friend hates me Because they said this one thing this one time last week. Yeah. You know, and it's like total bullshit over my experience. But I've learned it's like you confront those actual thoughts and then work through it. You realize your friend wasn't actually that mad at you in the first place. And it goes all the way to our significant others, our spouses, the people we spend the most time with. This is Mm -hmm. what I'm noticing lately, especially Mm -hmm. with all these with this rise in distortions. I'm watching my loved ones have this these disagreements that I'm like, there's no way that you guys are on the wrong, on this, on a different page, but you think you are. Yeah. You know what sure. I mean? Like, um, yeah. I see that and I'm like, wow, they really, they really, it works. You know, th- their their whole campaign to separate us and, 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 you know, isolate us has worked, you know, very well on the American public. We're all so weak now and mm-hmm. individualistic that we're, we'd rather commit suicide yeah. than fucking talk to somebody and figure it out, you know, communicate.
1: Yeah, community is so deprioritized, I guess, in American culture, um, you know, and they'll sell you like a million different snake oil, you know, apps or programs or products that try to take the place of what is just a very basic, healthy thing. You know, we're not only social creatures, but we are sort of like a collective organism.
2: Yeah. I feel like people were kind of like, were almost glad to develop those. It's like, oh, I have to be stuck in my room all day. Oh, I guess I just. Oh, I guess I have to do my phone again. Yeah. No, launch to indulge. Yikes. You just keep doing the easy way out. Eventually you're just in a, in a rut, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. It is easier. Yeah, it is way easier. Mm-hmm. Do I want
2: to get up and do this work and develop like a, a baseline or a practice and try to get a good perspective on things? Or do I want to just go do a really easy thing and just deep dive on some random theory mm-hmm. online, which has no... Doesn't no relevance to what I'm doing right now. Yes,
0: kind of reminds me of hookup culture. Yeah, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to get to know somebody and be their friend and then, you know, establish a relationship. You want to kind of immerse yourself in this uh,
3: single-serving
0: idea experience. Of, I mean, I mean, it's pretty obvious that hookup culture is facing some well-deserved scrutiny now, which is great. You know, I'm watching people around me, like, wake up to that. Like, oh, I don't need to feel validated on whatever it's called. Tinder. I don't know much about Bumble, if it's any better. Or Hinge is the other one. I don't know. If, I've heard that they're better than...
3: Ugh,
1: no. They have the worst ads for Hinge on the subway here. Tinder
0: was so popular, you know, 20, 10 or 20 Not 20 10 years, years ago. ago. Was it? Okay, 10. Yeah, 10 years ago. Feels like a lifetime, man. But when Tinder was a bigger deal and those other ones hadn't been developed yet, you know we we're in the we we're in the throes of just try to have as much sex as you can with as many people as you can or at least get the validation you need from all these people and mm-hmm. these short-term bites and then that'll fill the void and obviously it hasn't been working everybody's still unsatisfied so yeah. we're finally starting to question that which is beautiful yeah, We're the first generation to tell women, like, you can have this power, you have these rights. Sorry, <laughs> sorry we didn't give it to you earlier. And the, the natural reaction to that, in my opinion, is to kind of go a little bit bonkers, you know? Like, um, with the trad wife, you know, we, we, had, we had these protected, secluded, stay-at-home mom type, type of culture for a long time. And, wife. and yeah and uh it worked but it, we all we all knew that it wasn't the end all be all best way to do things by any means we knew that we needed to do better by you know you know equitable solutions but we also now we're starting to realize that we're not the same there's this huge gender um confusion occurring in america right now in my opinion Where we're all trying to say, well, men and women are equal. So therefore, they're the same. So women can be men and men can be women. And it's just a matter of choice. And there's some truth to that. But I think we've just gone way too hard into it. It's become like a fad to the point where nobody knows what their role is anymore. We've got a severe identity crisis. And there's plenty of Instagram accounts where they're talking about this. Like returning to traditional roles, but not in an oppressive way. A lot of places where i see it is ask men on reddit we're talking about dating like Uh i've seen this question come up about 20 different times what i why do women give such bad dating advice (laughs) And it's like should i ever ask women for dating advice about women like Uh the answer is always resoundingly no in the comments and it's because we're in this really confused state right now where Mm -hmm. women are told that you know they have to be accepting of like these uh Different roles and different types of men, but they're under. But a lot of them are are attracted to very masculine men. So there's this confusion. It's like I want a very masculine man to uh, confront me and uh, be assertive and talk to me, and but I also don't want to be oppressed. We're at a state in American history where, in terms of percentage of the population, there's more single people now than ever, Mm. and we're all isolated, lonely, confused about what we what we want. We don't even know what we want. As men and women, we're trying to figure out what we actually want so that we can <laughs> we can fill that role that 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 nice interdependent role with mm-hmm. our 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 wife or husband, you know. That's that's what I yeah. wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, that's there's a lot there's a lot to impact there. I think a lot of people are asking those questions and kind of struggling with I mean a lot of people are it evokes a lot of anger and then I think a lot of people are, are sort of finding their way out of anger which can be sort of uh, not the best um, lamp to guide your footing um, but it's it's funny that you bring up like tradwives as an example because that's become a oh, I don't even know if it's still trendy it might be passe now but for a while you know tradwives the tradwife uh, Woa jack was mm-hmm. sort of an in joke and and there have been a lot of women sort of rediscovering some of what was you know thrown out ac- across the the preceding waves of feminism um mm-hmm. and it's funny i mean i think i don't think i can give a accurate crash course in the waves of fem- feminism but there was like first wave was like suffragettes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and they were just like hey can we vote at least and then mm-hmm. second wave was what like um Stein. workplace like being able to work um, the approach was at first just to sort of demand to be able to occupy the roles and independence that men um, occupied in okay. culture and in the workplace and economically yeah. and then at a certain point it was like okay well it's not enough to just fill the shoes of, of men because it is for us uh, as women to define what we are and what our values are mm-hmm. um, but it feels like Somewhere along the way, feminism, at least aspects of it, were subject to capture by capital because it feels like all all we really got was convincing women to be a part of the workforce, you know, to be uh, productive wage slaves
3: mm-hmm.
1: at the expense of certain um, atavistic and inherent values, that we've lost along the way. And so a lot of people now, it's, it feels like a lot of women are rediscovering those things or, or or sort of looking backwards at what we, you know, the, the, the baby thrown out with the bathwater. And, and, you know, like the idea, you know, you you brought up trad wives in the context of like, you know, we see like sort of a, a fifties motif for what a trad wife is you know, staying at home while your husband goes to work and having a roast ready and then, you know, some uh, spousal <laughs> abuse if the roast isn't ready on time. And that, that, that sort of model of the American dream wasn't really that fulfilling because I think one of the main issues was not just the necessarily the gender role aspect, but the lack of community. You know, the suburban dream where women were captive in a, in a home without a real sense of community. And so uh, they were, you know, they were all pilled out. They were neurotic. Uh, is that okay to say that, that women during that period were neurotic because they had no community? They were just sort of...
2: Valium. Valium went through the roof.
1: Yeah, it was a like an epidemic of prescription drug abuse.
2: Yeah, and that kind of model hasn't really changed. It. I mean, the suburban model is still a thing. Like, people are still, you know, more or less staying at home and taking care of their kids and so. Still in their little house, old bubble caves, and prone to popping pills, probably. Yes. Yeah,
1: that is sort of just the American way. Yeah. It still exists, and we've tried to find our way back, but it does feel like we lost something along the way that is very valuable. Yeah. Um, families. And even when it comes yeah, to like, yeah, families, sure. And and when it comes to like femininity, like I don't know what wave we're on now. Are we on f- fifth wave feminism?
2: <laughs> I know
1: it's i'm not really sure um yeah, and there's yeah. some inflation as to like where we are with that i've heard the term selfie feminism which is sort of as cynical satirical uh-huh. um, well they used to
0: say feminism is for everybody and that's absolutely true it's finally happening where men are realizing their role in like what's what's our purpose like what's our our job to do while while women figure out their role and a lot of it what i'm starting to realize what i'm starting to really come to terms with and even like is it's kind of our job now to kind of take a step back and wait for them to come back to us. You know what I mean? I mean, this is very generalizing. Like people, if you love them, let them go, you know, and they should come back if they really care and they really love you and you didn't abuse them, (laughs) they should come back. So getting back to what you were saying, another problem with this era of non-monogamy is a lot of resentment has kind of formed between the sexes and within the sexes. Uh-huh. Um, where we have this, we all have this history now of like, we went through this whole like poly is good phase as, as a culture. And um, uh, we went through this, this phase of serial monogamy and not actually respecting uh, the beauty of, a, of an actual relationship where you intend on marrying this person and staying with them for the rest of your life. And when you do that, you end up with a lot of resentful people with a lot of baggage that are trying to now we're trying to like figure it out and now there's like a lot of baggage to unpack even if you do find the right person and you do commit to them completely there's still so much work to oh, do oh yeah <clears throat>
1: yeah the poly stuff was was cringe that was pretty rough i mean I, <sighs> I i experimented with that at the time there was definitely a a brief period of 5 to 5 to 7 maybe years where that was like we were really uh being reductionist about monogamy and mm-hmm. i ex- experimented with that a bit especially when i lived in san francisco mm-hmm. and it's fine but it's like I, maybe there is like a good version of that you know because there is a lot about monogamy that is um at least the way that we do monogamy as a culture uh, mm-hmm. that is not especially sustainable and has some inherent contradictions. Yeah. But I don't know what it is about the poly shit. Maybe it's just the fact that the people that are the most into it are so annoying. The, the people that <laughs> yeah. make it an entire personality—that's another monocausal thing. Like if being poly is your is your identity, is your personality, or in lieu of yeah. actually having a personality, yeah. that's an issue. Um, yeah. It also usually tends to be the people that like I don't know. I don't personally really want to fuck that much either. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the people where it's like, maybe you should just focus on having one person first before you like make your entire personality about uh, being able to fuck a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know.
0: It's a well-known and exercised joke <laughs> that people who are poly are really just want to cheat. You know, <laughs> they just want to cheat but have it be condoned and not feel bad about it. But that's a, there's a reason why that joke is so common and ubiquitous and popular and yeah i mean i think it really comes down what it really comes down to if you're taking like the therapist forgive yourself approach is like people not really knowing what their own boundaries are like not respecting themselves enough to say i would rather not be cheated on and I, that that's okay i'd rather it's better <laughs> you know or like i deserve yes i deserve a, monog- a monogamous relationship you know, if that's what I want. It is okay
1: to be honest with yourself and your partner about that. You know, to yeah. each their own. Or
0: I feel jealousy. You know, or
1: yeah, jealousy is healthy.
0: I feel jealousy, and there's a reason for it. And there's sometimes there's not a reason for it, but we 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 took it way too far. And saying you should never be jealous.
1: Yes, but in moderation, it's healthy. Yeah. But we have a tendency to overcorrect as a culture.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: which plays into you know, a lot of things. It probably plays into the like you were sort of bringing up the like modern gender discourse which is legitimate but also Mm -hmm. as a culture we for whatever reason in america everything has to be the the super size mega you know value meal um (laughs) triple exclamation point version of everything and so we have a tendency to overcorrect. yeah Um, and we find ourselves like out of our depth on these issues that you know while legitimate maybe we we don't fully understand yet and we're going so hard on these things that maybe we need to stop for a second and, and like acknowledge the fact that we made up a lot of these ideas on Tumblr five <laughs> yeah. or 10 years ago. Yeah. We need to take stock of, of the situation.
0: Yeah, didn't actually take check stock. in with ourselves. like how do I feel? Yeah. To acknowledge how I feel.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the mono-causal thing is so, yeah, it's a really interesting topic point for this. Yeah. It's like a good thread, I think. Gonna follow this through yeah i think that feminism is definitely one of those monocausal things
1: well yeah i mean like the patriarchy the the, the yeah. sort of s- straw man of the patriarchy um maybe you know it ha- has some value as a concept i'm sure uh-huh. but it, it's sort of like filtering everything in your life or all the 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 struggles that you're trying to heal from uh through like mm-hmm. your upbringing or your your childhood or your parents
3: mm-hmm
1: can only take you so far. And it's, so this is one thing I always seem to find myself saying when discussing this subject is, you know, there is there is an old saying, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a
2: nail. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's come up a lot. And I think another thing we should talk about um, in terms of the uh, waves of feminism and, you know, those kinds of parallel social movements is like everyone's expectations going into it Because I wonder if people just had kind of wrong expectations, even like well-thought-out, well-considered people who were maybe the people driving the force of change, you know, maybe had a different kind of fantasy of what it would be like to change culture and like kind of, I don't know, live in a new kind of utopian... I think it's kind of parallels like meeting... you Don't meet your heroes. So I wonder if people have the wrong expectations, and, and and are therefore unsatisfied when things actually change. Because I feel like things did change for the better, like we got more inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're watching our, what we say a lot more, and like we're, we're I think we're kinder people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but people still have this anger, it's like they still feel like they're really oppressed, or like really like, it's like they have to feel like they always have to fight for something like, becomes like the the one thing they f-
0: live and die for. It's about being patient, you know, For people to forgive you you know they may never may america may fall before for white people are forgiven and so so really our role is to not have any expectations ourselves because mm-hmm. we did there was a lot of expectations going into this you know that we were we we're going to fix this problem all the white men are going to realize their <laughs> their mistake and there wasn't, we didn't really talk about what happens after that. Forgiveness does is kind of necessary. So it's really our job to take a step back and be patient and await forgiveness. It may or may not ever come, you know? And that would be really tragic if it never came. But I think it's going to come. Knowing, knowing humans and the way humans work, we tend to... Part of our um, ability to succeed as a species kind of relies on forgiveness of each other's past issues and transgressions and these are, we're asking to be forgiven for the sins of our fathers and our fathers' fathers and our fathers' fathers' fathers. fathers. And so it's gonna, it might take a long time. We're kind of like that generation who maybe you could say, looking at it in a good way, you could say, we had the courage to finally step up and confront this issue and take the brunt of the assault that comes afterwards. I always always talk about in a fight, like let's say you're in a fight with your significant other about how to put the dishes away Uh for like 10 years. And it's kind of like a low key, passive aggressive <laughs> fight, like not not that big of a deal. Like nobody's right. making that big of a deal out of it. Right. And then one day, you tell them, "Oh, you know what? I've been putting the dishes away wrong this whole time. Turns out you were right. I'm sorry about that." Yeah. And like, what do you think? How do you think that person's gonna respond? You know, whether it's a man or a woman, uh-huh. our response is gonna be, "Fuck you! I can't <laughs> believe oh, this whole time." You know? <laughs> It's not going to be, "Oh, I forgive you," you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we 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 can't expect that. We can't expect to be forgiven right away. It's a real sense of betrayal. Like
2: just yeah. lingers.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Even if it's not logical, it doesn't matter. It's just a feeling. It's going to take a while.
2: I I wonder about yeah. how like how how does forgiveness manifest like you know actually come to be? Like how what's cuz I feel like before we we might have like rituals for forgiveness, you know you might you might say something like that, like because sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes people can like hold grudges even when people say sorry, and it's yeah. like so, sometimes things are just like like you know too big for you to even forgive. And so you you know you might just grow apart or something, you know, or or just I don't know, yeah. burn a bridge or something. But you you know even if you say sorry, sometimes you can just fall on on deaf ears if it's if it's too big of a thing. Well yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. We have to prove that we're not going to continue doing that shit when given power back. Right uh-huh. now we like at at risk of sounding like fucking Andrew Tate. Uh-huh. We don't have the power in the relationship right now. Men don't have the power. We've lost the power. And that's the good thing. Yeah. But in order to get it back, we have to slowly <laughs> be given slightly more and more trust each time like and then prove that we're not going to abuse that power again to have yeah equal power in relationship
2: mm. yeah trust goes hand in hand with, with forgiveness
0: yes forgiveness requires trust and yeah. for real real apologies require an actual change of behavior all the predation that's occurring like all these statistics have to go down for years before mm. we can be actually forgiven mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah. and in the meantime all the people who aren't mm. rapists and you know even just like harassing you know Sexual harassment or whatever—all that stuff has to, all those statistics has to go, has to go down before we can be, as a collective, forgiven by the collective mm-hmm. feminine. You have to prove it. You can't just say sorry. You got to prove it. You can say, "Oh, whoops, I was wrong." We have to prove it, and we've been kind of some of us. Uh, uh, I don't know. What would you guys say? Would you say that we've proven it?
2: Yeah. Um, I feel like they've definitely we've had their moment for a minute I think people are definitely more curious and I think a little bit more open to hearing from other voices that we like, like white men
0: but I don't know there's still a lot of white men in power still fucking over the world and it's not because they're white men it's because they're greedy yeah
2: know? it's hard to talk about things in such general terms because men and women are such different you know like individually yeah I feel like I feel like some people don't even say sorry they just they just kind of move on you know yeah, and I, I don't think people know how to apologize. Some people don't even know how to apologize. Some people are good at apologizing, but the people they're apologizing to don't know how to forgive. Yeah, so they hang on to the grudge. Yes, it's like no, this wound is my identity. It has become everything to me. Yeah, yeah. and you can't take that away from me. How dare you? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. That, that tracks. I mean, this is good topics, but we're really struggling as a culture to figure this out. Yes, you know?
1: it's a, it's like a, it's a big wound, and it's. It's a, it's a bitter issue and it seems like yeah. it the, really the blind leading the blind because all the, all the people that rise to the top, you know, with like something to say mm. about this, uh, really seem to just mm. be making things worse or to be, you mm. know, yeah. continuing division yeah. that isn't healing or, or productive or like mutually edifying. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what happens next.
0: I think we're getting in touching into a vulnerable spot, which is good, but I think we're still on the right track because I had the exact same thought yeah. as you, Dan, just a few moments ago, thinking about the blind leading the blind. The way I was going to say it was you know, we weren't trained in these ways by our parents. We're trying to do something totally different. So we're trying to raise ourselves. We're trying to take ourselves, like a lot of therapeutic, common therapeutic techniques is to take that inner child and comfort him or her and say, you know, it's going to be okay, you know, you're not alone, blah, blah, blah. All these things, we're we're literally trying to raise ourselves, teach ourselves how to do this. So it's going to be a lot of bumbling in the dark, figuring things out. And it's a really good point that, you know, anybody with a voice, anybody on a pedestal, is going to say shit that has value, but also could cause more issues. I don't know, it sounds kind of cynical to say that these people are creating more issues than they are solving. I think they're just expressing the discontent of a group.
2: Get in, if you're interested in healing something like, a, especially like a wound or something, like a new way, and you want to follow someone else's example, like I, w- I, wouldn't just go with what they say just in blind faith necessarily. I would look to the results that they produce. You know, like look to the people who are the ones who were the the ones living in that living that way and see how, like, you know, do they benefit from it? Are they actually, you know, level-headed and, and actually like a, a, a something, you know, that, um, you'd want to embody. Or is it like they've had this like, you know, super highfalutin, uh, excuse and kind of, uh, a way of kind of pushing their voice over everyone else you know, just kind of opportunistically Mm -hmm. and they they might have a really interesting concept or something, but it's like when you see them living their life, the actual example of it, like you see that um, it doesn't add up and it's sort of the, the idea of like meeting your heroes. Like going back to that again, you know, the idea that like you should meet your heroes and see, make sure that they check out because you don't want to follow the example of someone who's actually lost, just lost, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely yeah that's a really good point point. and mean, we could yeah we all a lot of kids are becoming more and more critical of social media because they're starting to realize that half the half or 90 percent of the people on there are bullshitters and yeah. so you have to be have this really critical eye about what is mm. you know what is what is somebody feeding me a line who's trying to get my money um is this artificial intelligence mm-hmm. <laughs> um There's definitely groundswell like a,
2: yeah for sure happening i think people are really asking big questions now and they're really open to it more and they really want big answers and before i felt like we were kind of going through our time to experiment with it <laughs> we had our chance to like kind of try things out and now it's kind of like or you got to kind of come around and you know come back to come back to reality i think people want to know what's real and they're kind of tired of the like the illusion of reality on instagram and the 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 illusion of persona and yeah i think people want want something real now people are and they don't they don't care if it it doesn't necessarily fit the woke agenda 100 percent or if it isn't like like i I mean i've been talking you know um i don't know if we should say your name you know it's a public forum but i've I've been hearing stories about people who we both know not to say that (laughs) uh who uh run a business, a small business in New York City. Um, they own and operate a coffee shop.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um,
2: and I, I recently caught up with them and we we go way back, you know, uh, this person and I. So we, we've been catching up again. Uh, we have a long history, but, it, it, you know, they are um, a lesbian woman and they, you know, spend all their time going and thinking about pride and thinking about LGBT. And, labels and like they're they're very informed and trying to inform others and they feel they, they felt like this really great pressure to kind of fly the flag of like oh you know i'm a intersectional feminist and i'm you know i'm a lesbian woman business donor you know yeah. and to kind of push that because that's kind of how the how it works nowadays like to you know find your market
3: mm-hmm.
2: in order to get, get by but she feels like this pressure Um, I think because of the groundswell, there was like a recent groundswell and she's not so inclined to fall for that pressure anymore. Now she really wants, you know, to let go of that and just explore and she's open to other things. And she's realizing that she's not actually doesn't even fit that label. She doesn't identify with lesbian any, anymore that she, in the way that she used to. Mm. Um, But um, she's still obviously exploring a lot of it, but she's, I think the fact that it is that, just the fact that she's open to it is like I think a sign, and it, yeah, her her story for me parallels a lot of other stories that I've been hearing too of yeah. people who I know are, someone like that. Yeah, kind of letting go. Interesting causal things. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know someone like that. Like, I think there's definitely gonna there's definitely a resurgence of a need for the real. You know, like a perhaps I don't know how it's gonna manifest. You know, we might really get into theater, <laughs> or we might get more into interpersonal you know communication interaction maybe but um i know people as i know someone as well who was identified as bisexual for most of their life mm-hmm. and now they're saying i was just confused that was bullshit <laughs> i was just overcoming some trauma love that you yeah. know yeah. and i'm like okay well yeah that's great i'm glad you're figuring that out but what caused that in the first place that need for everybody to yeah yeah
1: Dude, I was embrace those monocultures. I was thinking, I literally today, uh, this afternoon, I was thinking about the pride flag, um, and like, not not even like, I mean, fuck the ugly. Like, we've had so many reboots of the pride flag recently that are, it's just getting out of hand. The triangle with the circle. I don't I don't even know what it means anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just mm-hmm. just generally speaking, like the pride flag. Um, Notwithstanding what it once meant, which may have been a powerful, what was a powerful signifier for a, um, you know, marginalized yeah. community. If I, like, if I see yeah. a pride flag in a, in a business, in a coffee shop or, or a restaurant or something now, I don't, I don't want to go inside. And it's not because I think, oh, there might be gay people inside. Because on any given day, the friend group I'm with is probably gay or trans or queer in some capacity. It's because I know that the vibes yeah. inside are going to be awful because today as a signifier, that flag, you know, tacitly reads to me as the gentrification pride flag. Yeah. It's just, it's just this, this thing that everybody.
0: Commodification. Pride yeah.
1: Pride. That's all it means now. And, you know, again, goes back to like, how did I phrase it earlier? Like so, so many of these movements that began legitimately are subject to capture by capital and lose all meaning. And then means something sort of like cynical or or sinister. Captured by capital. That's interesting. It's like astroturfing. Yeah. Pride brought to you by T-Mobile and J.P. Morgan.
2: I, I feel like it's interesting thinking about life after this more, like you're saying. I think like yeah, the smaller things are more the big things for me now. Um, I think my just priorities have kind of like shifted for the better. I just try to like be more humble and self-disciplined and develop a practice and soon like kind of build off of day after day that kind of has its own energy, but at the same time, leaving, a, you know, a good part of my energy and my, in my, uh, my time, my effort to like those around me that like I've known, you know, my whole life, like my friends and family, hmm. I, like it was interesting after getting married, one of the unexpected things was like, I felt closer to my friends. Hmm. Um, which was a really great feeling, and that that's kind of more mirrors like what I'm talking about. Just the getting back to the <laughs> fundamentals of friendship and 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 all those things, and, and keeping up with each other. And uh, I just try to make myself as available as possible to you know people I see outside, and like I just I try to look out more for for people around me.
0: And. uh we gotta change our name now. We're not friendship simulator. We're gonna be friendship actuator. <laughs> actuator. <laughs> That's right. Log off. That's beautiful. Yeah. Focusing on the little things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we should have to, we have to get more critical mind when it comes to all this media, all the things coming out of the screens. We also have to kind of fall back on tradition more. That's another way forward in my opinion so whether that be through reading the bible um, Mm -hmm. going to sweat lodge these are thousands of year old traditions and there's a reason why they were around for thousands of years you should kind of find your own tradition what works for you and try to practice it in the best most honest most pure way you can Mm -hmm. the least commodified least co-opted way you can Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and you know that's becoming more and more obvious more and more apparent that that's the way forward you know focus on Friendship and com- community, and yeah, mm-hmm. things that make sense.
1: I do feel that what you were saying. Like, I think in the time that I've known you guys, you have probably picked up on the fact that I have a tendency that I have observed as well to sort of get a little too, like, I get a little lost in relationships. Whenever I start a new relationship, I, I sort of get a little, um, you know, it sort of becomes a, a very large part of my world um and you probably see a little bit less of me no I'm not I'm not gone but you probably see a little bit less of me um Mm -hmm. but notwithstanding that tendency which is something that I've had to sort of like reconcile with and grow from over the years I do resonate with what you're saying that when you are in a relationship a healthy relationship like since you got married you you it can enrich your your friendships as well you can uh be closer with your friends um, I don't know. It's Ooh, like, yeah, because it, it's kind of when you're single, that not only has not only are you lacking like, um, you know, a, a, like a, a romantic partnership, mm-hmm. but it also sort of like makes it harder, I think, to be part of a community. Just because I don't, you know, nobody's like really dying to get another single guy in the, in in their friend group.
3: group. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah,
1: because what what yeah. are you there? You know, you're you're horny. That's like the that's the main thing on your mind. But you know, when you have your house in order, hopefully
0: not. Ideally not. <laughs> ideally not. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's come on. Like that's, statistics would agree. Mm-hmm.
1: But when you have your house in order, when you have like a, a better half, and you can sort of as a, uh, as a unit come into a, a friend group, uh, with that to offer. It's just sort of, you know, the vibes are, the vibes are better.
0: Um, part of that is probably from not being married yet. You know, if you think about that earlier stages before you've sealed the deal, you know, the earlier stages of relationship is a lot about, it's very time consuming because, and this could be a distortion, but you kind of feel like you have to prove that you're a good partner. <laughs> whatever that means, it's kind of going above and beyond until, you know, a lot of people do that until they get married and then they kind of back off. And that's, that's kind of misleading.
1: Oh, interesting. You know,
0: and it's not I, either. I kind of
1: feel the opposite or maybe we're talking about different, oh, yeah? different time spans, but I, I'm thinking of like, yeah. there's the honeymoon phase in the beginning where it doesn't take that much yeah. work at all. Everything kind of comes naturally and goes smoothly because you're all sort of, you're both yeah. sort of love drunk on, you know, oxytocin and, and uh, yeah. mm-hmm. much more like forgiving mm-hmm. and open to discovering each other's you know qualities and flaws and oh yeah it's all gonna work out great but it's it is just a phase it's important to understand that going into a relationship and you you have to get real and that's you know that's more meaningful that's yeah. that's uh, I think a, you know a more real love when you start to build something
0: sustainable. I'm talking about it from the colored perspective of like a codependent relationship. Like that early phase is has all those things that you mentioned, but also with an air of proving or you know, blowing someone away or, you know, being your best self and yeah. And in the beginning, in a codependent relationship. And then and then that later phase, once you pass the honeymoon phase, has another codependent, ugly side, you know, if it's done in a toxic way, which is involves like you know, not having friend, not having good relationships with your friends, not having free time, you know, not uh, having your own individual pursuits and personality, mm-hmm. you know, like. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ideally the, the person would support you in your, in those pursuits and bring the best parts out of you and not like dilute them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Something a lot of people struggle with, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, You don't feel that way, Dan?
1: No, no. I, I mean, I, I, when I spoke to you, Oliver, like right when you were first sort of when the breakup was beginning. Fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I confided in you that I, I also have a tendency toward codependency. I think, I mean, I don't really know what a clinical definition of it is. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's a sort of a fine line between just like a relationship that you really enjoy versus one that is codependent. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, when you want to be around this person all the time and you enjoy each other's company. Um, but then, yeah, it's like also when it's hard to be apart and you sort of feel like you, you don't know what to do with yourself when you're not like with that person. Yeah. And there's a balance to be found there that is mutually enriching, you know, and mutually supportive.
0: My experience, it flips. It starts out as immersion and, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah, all the time, want to be with this person. And then, it flips. At some point, you develop this resentment. You find out something you kind of disagree upon, and you're like, well, I thought that this person and I agreed on everything." And the fact that it doesn't like hits you so hard that you know you can't re- you can't reconcile that, and that's only because you were so codependent in the first place. Otherwise, you'd recognize them as a as an individual who has different needs. It's probably going to have different value sets. Mm. Being as pragmatic as you can about it, that toxicity kind of comes from. Trying to put it all on your partner. Trying to have them them be your confidant, yeah. your therapist, your friend, your BFF, your mom, you know? <laughs> yeah. Help you through all these difficult times or whatever. Take care of you. Um, that's 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 like extra. You know, that, that's, I call that hyper-codependent. And then the more subtle, insidious things are kind of like these expectations we have where we, we look at our partner and we say, I... It's not a conscious thing, but I expect you to be able to handle any kind of thing I want to throw at you. It's
3: mm-hmm.
0: not the case. You know, they're humans. They can't handle everything. You got to handle some shit on your own. You, there's, not, there's some stuff that you shouldn't be sharing with your partner. They don't need to hear that shit,
3: you know?
1: That's valid, yeah. Like That's shit. heckin' valid. <laughs> there is a type of person who needs, like honest to a fault where it's at the detriment of of others around them but they like they they will hurt others just to make themselves feel clean you know mm. Oversharing things that that don't necessarily need to be shared i have i've encountered that personality yes
0: oh yeah i'm definitely guilty of that
1: i don't think it comes from a good place you know you guys want, I did want to talk about the that thing that I sent you, the gateway process and the parallel reality stuff. That seems like a fun, uh, yes, uh, more friend sim classic type of. K uh-huh. uh, K sent it to me. K, who we had on the last episode, yeah. But it's called the gateway process, and it was developed out of a I I don't know how recently declassified CIA study on using separate audio in your left and right ear that um, trains you to supposedly synchronize the hemispheres of your brain for the purpose of, and this is what the CIA study was about. this is like a Cold War era like CIA study where they were getting in some really, you know, woo stuff. Uh, it's supposed to to train a person to be able to uh, drop out of their present, reality and visit or transit to parallel realities alternate universes wow. hmm. it came back into uh the cultural conversation recently because of tiktok because uh, a bunch of tiktok teens have are convinced shifting that they're realities. they're shifting yeah
2: yeah i've heard of the shifting reality thing.
1: it's a thing yeah it's a whole thing hmm. a lot of them apparently are going to the the harry potter universe to like fuck draco malfoy or something <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's, that reminds me of like the when people are talking a lot about uh what's the waking life thing the where your dreams become real lucid dreaming yeah 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 it's yeah. like back in iron day when we were teens <laughs> that was so a big deal TikTok, waking life i remember <laughs> shifting realities i because I, I know you do it when you sleep right it's like a sleep yeah thing.
1: classic stoner oh. film waking life the rotoscope that's what you're talking about the rotoscope film right
2: yeah
3: yeah
0: so the, so so kids are doing this now like and and trying to fuck Draco Malfoy in an alternate universe?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids on TikTok are doing this, which I don't I don't really understand why cuz Harry Potter is not I mean it's a it's a fictional, it's it's a book. Although I guess I mean yeah. according to the like many worlds theory, there are infinite universes, so I suppose there's one where, you know, or there's many where something like Harry Potter whatever. I God bless if they're doing that. Yeah. I don't know, but um I found myself thinking, like, over the past several years, more about this sort of, like, branching causality and and multiple uh, realities stuff. You know, there was, like, the Mandela effect was a a popular concept for a while. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I sort of, dovetailing off what we were talking about earlier, about uh, entertaining pet theories to the point of, possible mental illness. <laughs> I've, I've been humoring the theory recently that um, that I may have jumped between timelines at certain points in my life and sort of trying to put together a timeline of, could this have happened? And if it did happen, what does that mean? Yeah. At first, there's the idea of um, quantum immortality or quantum suicide. Which that you know, remember McAfee? What was his name?
2: Hmm. McAfee, the guy, the antivirus yeah, guy.
1: The antivirus guy. He apparently was into quantum suicide. There's a whole account. That he did in an interview where he basically kept. He was playing Russian roulette with himself, and he kept pulling a, a pistol, uh, and and it, with a, a bullet inside, and it would never go off. And the idea there is that you um, your consciousness only persists in universes where you're still alive. So if at any point in your life you've had a near-death experience, it's possible that you did in fact die at that point, and your consciousness only persisted in a in a near universe, a near trajectory where you came very close to, you know, getting hit by the bus or whatever, but didn't. Mm-hmm. I've had a few close brushes like that.
0: Whoa. I was gonna ask, like, where does where does that other guy's consciousness go?
1: Well, the idea is that as you in a certain number of universes do in fact die, the bandwidth of your multiverse experience shrinks slightly. But since there are infinite universes, you know, what does that actually mean? Wow. Um, but the first time that I remember really thinking, like, oh, did I just jump universes? Was in 2016, November 2016. We all remember. There's a lot of, like, multiverse theory around this because this is when Um, Trump got elected. Oh, yeah. There's one theory, I guess, like, a, a squirrel or a rodent or something chewed through some wires at CERN, at the Large Hadron Collider, that caused it to like mm-hmm. a, a power surge or whatever. Whoa. And some people believe that that's that's the moment where we like jumped universes to one where Trump got elected. Oh
0: my God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's actually like a lot of stories about animals attacking CERN. Like it's a very common thing, which- What? Make of it what you I will. I didn't know about this. Yeah. Shit, that's so cool. If nature's fighting back, right?
0: I was gonna say, if, if CERN was the cause, Everybody expected like this big black hole to form and like a big, you know, universe, multiverse right. to open up in the sky. But we might not even be able to perceive it. If there was mm-hmm. a if there was an effect, it could have happened and we wouldn't have even known that maybe that's how multiverses work is you just kind of <laughs> continue with life. And it just feels a little different.
1: Yeah, most likely you wouldn't even recognize the shift.
0: It's happening on another place
1: to exist. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and there's a lot of, I mean, I don't really understand exactly what CERN does. It's over most people's heads. But because it's <laughs> such a, uh, a scientific endeavor on such a massive scale, and also because it's like in Switzerland, which is like a weird sort of cursed, e- e- elitist, fake country, tax haven country, it's sort of, people have attached a lot of like, conspiracy theories to it, uh, especially for whatever reason, uh, multiverse theory. Uh Do you remember just this past 4th of July, they were turning CERN back on for like the biggest whatever experiment yet, like on a a much larger scale. And -hmm. there was like a viral Facebook post uh, about some, some woman was saying like, don't drink alcohol on the 4th of July because there's going to be like another shift. And if you lower your vibrations... You're going to I don't know shift into like a lower vibration reality as opposed to you're <laughs> going to get left behind in some shitty future as opposed to oh I don't know yeah so on Fourth of July I did ketamine <laughs> to to <laughs> to enter into the most chaotic <laughs> timeline let's do it possible this is wait this this was probably the last time we recorded too actually didn't we record the last episode in in uh Ju- July
0: it sounds about right we were talking about uh, K holes or something like that
1: yeah yeah. But that's when I went to the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, and I and I did ketamine um, with a friend of mine. And uh, mm. after that, my life got really weird, mm. but not in a bad way—in a very, very positive way. Mm. Um, I mean, life has been really great lately, and 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 at, and at times to the point where it's almost like starting to Im- impeach upon my suspension of disbelief. And I've been like, how did, how did all of this happen?
3: Yeah,
1: I mean. I won't go into too much detail, but I've shared with you guys personally, like I was I was pretty down bad at Mm. the beginning of 2022. My life had taken sort of some some pretty devastating turns Yeah, um, that felt pretty bleak for a while. Yeah. And then um, everything like turned around very rapidly and life has been has been very good lately. Mm. Um, You know, in most things, I like to keep an internal locus of control. Yeah. Take personal responsibility for what's happening in your life as opposed to projecting it onto outside circumstances Okay. within reason, of course, systemic issues, that's all legitimate. Um, but yeah, I've sort of been humoring the idea that is it possible that I like that something happened and I jumped timelines and is it possible
0: that ketamine has something to do with it? Wow. I, have you guys
1: ever tried ketamine? No,
0: Never but i i know i know people who have and it had really positive effects on their life but in a therapeutic fashion it wasn't like like i'm just fucking around with ketamine you know but i'm sure you can get those benefits if you do it in a conscious way yeah it's i mean yeah. it's
1: used for therapy now it's kind of been like descheduled in some places and you can go and get ketamine therapy and it's supposed to be very like a a much more effective way to treat depression addiction too and addiction yeah but it's also just like a really popular party drug in New York. Hmm. Um, I was never into it until I started coming here. You know, the first time I came here was like April of last year. Hmm. Part of the reason I came to New York was because my life was just sort of out of control and, and not yeah. very good when yeah. I was living in LA. And I was like, fuck it, let me try something else. Yeah. Um, so I sublet a place out here. And I remember doing, you know, ketamine is a, is a dissociative. Mm-hmm. I remember the experience of dissociating at like a party on a uh, Myrtle Avenue, Jimmy, you remember Myrtle Myrtle Wyckoff that that intersection.
0: He said, "Oh yeah."
1: I was right under that intersection at a drain gang show with some friends doing ketamine, and I remember the feeling of, of dissociation. I could I would describe very much like sort of all the, um, what was the word that you used earlier for those like behaviors in your mind where you distortions. You, distortions yeah all the sort of um all all the distortions that i had and the sort of like self-defeating or like just all the all the thought processes that sort of limited the scope of of what i imagined life could be and the future could be for myself and the people that i care about were sort of just kind of like washed away and the the Manifold branching possibilities of what the future could look like just felt very open, Opened temporarily. And, yeah, and it was a very euphoric feeling. Wow. Um, but then after that, life did open up and change like really hard, right turn in a lot of ways that um, that I'm very happy with. But somewhere in the back of my head, since then, I've I've sort of been like playing around with a the pet theory. I mean, you know, okay, it doesn't have to even be, like, uh, anything requiring some kind of new physics or, like, woo, whatever. Like, we jump universes all the time when we make decisions. You know, you make a decision to go left instead of right or whatever. Hmm. Uh, You, within the realm of your control, are causally affecting what the future is going to look like. Yeah. But within the realm of all those choices, causal choices, we impose limits on ourselves of what we think we can do, or what we're even like willing to try, and it was just very powerful the way that in my own life circumstances changed so dramatically. Yeah. Um, and life got like went from like 2022 started as probably the worst time of my life, mm-hmm. and since then has has honestly become like the best year of my life. Like, there's so much yeah. cool stuff going on. I feel like a part of a community that I never really you know, expected to be a part of.
0: Yeah. you. Yeah. You guys are like playing chess with Gregorian chanting in the <laughs> background. What was the other, what Was the third aspect of that?
1: Oh yeah. That was Moneros.
0: Moneros. Yeah. It's cool. ass New York stuff.
1: Yeah. There's it's just a lot of fun stuff going on. You know, I'm like friends with a lot of people. And in this sort of scene here uh, with people that previously I had only like interacted with parasocially and never really expected to know personally. Yeah. Um,
0: like your girlfriend
1: like yeah like my girlfriend for example um
0: that's kind of that story
1: and i mean that's probably the biggest upward uh shift that i've experienced so maybe it's just like the euphoria of a a new relationship (laughs) but still somewhere in the back of my head
0: that's the occam's razor
1: yeah that's the occam's razor occam's laser dichotomy
0: yeah well what's when did you guys start dating in relation to the fourth of july or uh, when did you first start talking to her or something?
1: Right. Like so April is when I first came out here for a month. And that's when I met her. Mm-hmm. And that's when I tried ketamine for pretty much the first time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and had that first experience. And, you know, we sort of like... Uh, at one point, we kissed. but and, yeah, and then I came back to Colorado. I saw you guys after that. Yeah. And then I came back out here for the uh, Instagram protest when we handcuffed ourselves to the, the door of uh, Instagram headquarters.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was sort of... That's the lore of where we met, even though we did before that.
0: Okay, so it was around the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around the same time. But that's when we decided to U-Haul and become roommates. U-Haul? Yeah, yeah you know the term U-Haul? What does that mean? It's a term in lesbian circles because lesbians have a tendency to <laughs> oh, yeah. they just move jump in right together in. right away. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that... Uh, I don't want to be so cynical as to say that that's the only reason that you're feeling... All these changes in growth that would be sad right if, it, if that was the way the world worked but I do think um, that plays probably plays a huge role I think it's both I think it's like I think that when you're exposed to these types of uh, new changes in your life a lot of things open up simultaneously and they have a they have a kind of a cyclical effect on each other yeah and as a result you start to notice things and open your consciousness up to things that you would never have noticed mm-hmm. otherwise in that alternate reality where you guys didn't kiss or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, it just happens to be maybe not a correlation, but a uh, th- these events t- seem to happen in my life too in simultaneous. There's a beauty to, I think as a single person, you know, I can say that, like i spent so many years feeling shitty while being single mhm and the last couple times this time and last time i was single didn't feel that way that was so empowering to not think that you know that these feelings this euphoria this sense of security i'm feeling doesn't isn't reliant on
1: yeah i don't know i mean i mean really the the like beautiful and en- encouraging thing about the experience was just recognizing that You know, I mean, we all know it in theory that, like, um, whether you're down or you're up, it's important to sort of separate yourself from desire enough to recognize that everything changes and everything goes through seasons and Mm -hmm. you'll be up and you'll be down again in your life. Okay. But it was encouraging to bear witness to how quickly a bad situation can turn into a situation that was, like, even beyond my expectations of, of how things could get and how much fun I, I could have that was really you know that was really yeah yeah. so for anyone out there who's down right now all you have to do take is take a bunch of ketamine and you're gonna and you're gonna travel to a parallel dimension
0: <laughs> that's Dan's formal advice
1: you know, just as a disclaimer we're not saying do ketamine especially if you're a teen on TikTok yeah um, let your brain fully form yeah but yeah yeah Life can turn around pretty quickly and when you least expect it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I guess I'm kind of uh, not being completely honest with myself when I say that my, my happiness is not relying on being in a relationship because this time I'm spending, you know, being single, and last time I have a lot of people in my life, and those people, some of them are women. So maybe there's a correlation between it's not being in a, you know, a romantic relationship necessarily. It's just being close to people, you know. There's there's gotta be some type of cyclical causal relationship between, you know, the amount of time you spend with people of both sexes and your happiness. Yeah. Your your happiness index, your joy. It's community.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, maybe it has a little bit to, like we were saying earlier, it's Jimmy you were saying it enriches your friendships when you also have like a rewarding and healthy relationship with a partner, with a, a romantic partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're twofold, but yeah, they really compound one another. These are both very important and vital aspects of of life.
0: It's probably the most interesting thing to me right now, and in in the last year or so of my life, is people who are trying to navigate spousal relationships, trying to figure out exactly what role each person should play and why. You know,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, Jimmy, what do you
2: think? As the only one of us that has a legally official
0: spouse <laughs>
2: that's interesting yeah I, I mean it goes back to the individualistic experience versus the generalities and my individual experience is is pretty different because i grew up like surrounded by women and lots of feminine and in- influence a lot of oh, yeah girl cousins a lot of aunts a lot of uncles <laughs> you know like blood relatives or yeah. Yeah, and they were at, they had a big influence. They were just like a, a matriarch, a, a, you know, a whole hierarchy oh. of of moms. <laughs> Strong feminine
1: energy in your house, definitely. Without yeah,
2: concern. and I got a lot of insight from them on because I saw them. i not only that, but I just saw them interacting and like kind of like dealing with their own relationships from that. You know, from one side, so I was able to kind of see how they handle it. You know, a good model for. A way to connect with a, a, a girl. <laughs> I was very encouraged, mm-hmm. like, oh, you should go talk to that person or whatever, and yeah. and it was fun. I, I took it in stride. I didn't feel like pressure, you know. Mm. And I think I think sometimes people can kind of put too much pressure on because they have all these like these like I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. know. I, it feels theories. like people. Yeah, these pet theories that are often from people who are burned by women. You don't want too much information. You don't want like all these theories running through your head when you just want to go hang out with someone for yeah. the first time. You just want to be able to hang out with them. Yeah.
1: To get out of your own head, that's a big Yeah. That's really the best um, of all the, you know, whatever tactics and advice that you could yeah. um, implement. Just getting out of your own head and and just being and like treating the other person like a person and not like, yep. a, you know.
0: So I grew up on the opposite side in a family of two brothers, you know, and massively outnumbered my mom. And uh, she... Her representation, you know, of women is very, it's one person and I can't get all the information I need from that. So I went, I spent a good 10 years, like focusing on trying to understand like women from a woman's perspective, taking all these feminist courses and getting all this dating advice from women. And it helped a lot, like to understand the psychology, like really coming down to the fact that, oh, we're the same You know, we're just taking these different roles. And that's the most recent change that I've come to. Living in this family dynamic with my previous girlfriend, we were were only together for two years, but there was a kiddo involved. So it got really intense. Um, It was like, he was two when I met her. And then he was four when we broke up. And um, so we're trying to figure out these domestic roles, living together raising this child together with an absent his, his his biological father was absent and um like we started to get into really go deep into like gender roles and we went and see, saw a couples counselor and she kind of helped us through this The the conclusion i came to <laughs> was uh that these roles are important I, I encourage everybody to kind of go into depth about that stuff with themselves or their therapist or you know their spiritual leader I can't believe how much of an effect that has has had on me. I, I can't believe how much my relationship with my parents mm. and has affected me and my perceptions of women. Like it's so cliche, you know, before I would say that sure. stuff, but but yeah. it's it's more you know it's more true than I wanted to give it credit for. So everybody everybody should really really go deep <laughs> into uncovering what perceptions and expectations we have on women and why. And how that's relevant to our first relationship with a woman. Mm -hmm. And then obviously early relationships, early childhood relationships with like your first relationship in high school. I'm sure that plays a pretty big role. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your sisters, right? Mm -hmm. Me not having any sisters has a huge effect on my perception of women. Yeah, that was, you know,
1: I feel like that was huge growing up having uh, a sister close to my own age because we could always kind of like, Especially when we were like both young adults and then we would sort of debrief, hmm. end up in the kitchen at the same time some night and like, oh, what's going on with you? What's going on with you? Mm-hmm. And then debrief our respective uh, relationships or whatever from the point of view of, of, mm. uh,
0: of the opposite gender. Mm-mm.
1: Mm-mm. That was huge.
0: Yeah, I wish I had that growing up. Really didn't. That's why I developed so many really close friends who are women in, in high school. I suddenly saw this huge benefit of just hanging out with the girls and talking about relationships and I was like, Holy shit, I'm missing out on this entire world and there's so much to learn. <laughs> but that's how I kinda had to make up for it. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, it doesn't matter as much. You know, just they're just a bunch of kids. When you're in elementary school, mm-hmm. you're not gonna learn that much more, you know.
1: Yeah, you did have a lot of friends. You were friends with a lot of women in high school, I remember.
0: Kind of forgot about that for a few years. <laughs>
1: You and me and me were just doing parkour <laughs> in high school right.
2: <laughs> they're like why don't pay attention to me <laughs>
0: yeah, look. The, the look
2: at the trick. look at me. my sick moves
0: some of my favorite most fond memories were just being like hanging out with a bunch of girls getting invited like being one of the girls like <laughs> like it felt yeah. like that really is a good yeah yeah that's oh a, yeah that's great first, it wasn't until later that i was told you're not supposed to do that you know uh-huh. like later i was told no you're just been being put in the friend zone you better watch uh-huh. it you know and i was like oh i better stop doing that they're gonna just see me as friends and then now see how stupid that was
1: yeah that's bad advice
0: terrible terrible advice that's such a, to be invited yes.
1: into the into the inner circle that's a that's a huge honor
0: yeah. yeah i felt honored as a kid when i was just listening to my feelings i felt incredibly honored
1: well, and and that the, that bad advice comes from a pl- the perspective of your only objective being like, uh, I need to fuck these women, yeah, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just you know being open to being friends, yeah, or have just having a you know a real relationship uh, without expectations,
3: yeah. yeah.
0: Can we talk about that landlord thing? We were talking about um, how to gain power in the landlord-tenant dynamic, Oh. and Dan had this huge experience with that, and I had a really cool. Experience oh my with that.
1: god. We gotta talk about
0: that. Oh my god!
1: Yeah, yeah yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I've been going through it. What have you? What have you been going through with?
0: It? I want to hear your story first. Jimmy's about to get a house. You know, or, or no way, rent really? Rent a house. He's about to rent or get a house. So and then we move in
2: in like in April. Very, very stressful. One of the top. Five things that's yeah. most stressful. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the top five stressors of of, 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 your, of anyone's <laughs> life moving. The list is like death of a friend, death of a family member, death of a child, and moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, that's, yeah, why.
1: truly. But so you two are, you're looking at moving into a, a house? Yeah. What's, I mean, we're what's just, your, we're what's just, your move? We're saving.
2: We're just trying to get up enough for a first time homebuyer thing. And, but in the meantime, okay. we're just going to move somewhere that has more space because Kyle, so he's kind of being forced out really suddenly. They're trying to all of a sudden, yeah. like, oh, you have to move out like in a week or like a month, the latest, you know, so it's like, yeah. oh. So, yeah, I really feel for it. I, I just want to like be able to find a place that all three of us, you know, could share in Coda. So probably like another bedroom, but like, you know, split three ways. So it probably would be even cheaper so we could save faster for... The house things um yeah sounds awesome yeah a,
0: yeah so it'll be like a year-long thing probably renting with kyle cool before we yeah. buy and when, yeah. you, when you when you do it you gotta negotiate for um your rights so that's that's one thing i learned when that look, i want to rental? share yeah when you're renting uh-huh. we have the power to negotiate for our rights you can change your contract not all landlords will accept that in fact most won't you know take a look at them and be like yeah i'm really interested in this house you need to change this and that, and or, or even decrease the price, mm-hmm. and then I'll take it. And we're really great tenants, and here's why you know, yeah, I think it depends Dude, on the people are situation.
3: so
1: housebroken, no pun intended, when it comes to dealing with landlords. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, they're afraid, oh, I don't want like a, my landlord to give me a bad reference, and then nobody will rent to me. Or, I mean, the power dynamic that yeah. that that exists that people accept, but also that exists is you know. Pretty, pretty wild, like landlords ex- ex- exert a lot of power and it's obviously a very fucked up system, housing and the existence of landlords, period. We don't have to go full Maoist on this episode but yeah. um, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people also don't realize how many rights you do have you do have rights as a tenant and especially after COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you have a lot more rights than you did before but a lot of people you know, either don't research them and just get taken advantage of by the landlord when they actually had recourse that they didn't pursue, uh, or yeah. just don't advocate for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's huge. More if more people did it, then more people would feel empowered to do it, you know, and yeah. would be able to do it.
0: Absolutely, that's why. I, that's the only reason I brought it up is because I was impressed with the results when I did it. And I felt compelled yeah. to do it because we were taking care of a little guy, and there was some unsafe shit in the back of the yard. And we had to get it. He had to get rid of it before we would do. I was like, "There's no way in hell," you know, when a raccoon comes out of there and bites. Um, yeah. So it started like that. I built a, I drew up a contract that said, "You need to get rid of this giant monstrosity in the backyard. It's a, literally housing raccoons temporarily, or was at one point, before we before we move in." And then we were like, "Wait, what else can we add to this contract?" And because he said he was going to sign it. I'm like what else can we add to this contract? And so we started thinking well the rent's a little high. <laughs> so <laughs> how can we change that? And then he said he said well we we'll, we always wanted to like we're like fixer-uppers type people. So we will happily fix little things here and there. It's like a it's it's a house that had a lot of issues, you know, cosmetically. We'd be happy to fix them. We have some experience with this kind of stuff. You know, Sarah's a landscaper. And here's some proof of our prior work that we've done. So if you uh, take off from our rent each month, we will, we need your word, like your written word, that you will uh, re- reimburse us for the work we do. And so that's how it started, right? I oh, we, we added into the contract, like, you will, you know, you'll pay us for all the materials that we get and for 15, $15 an hour for the work that we do, that we're putting into our house anyways. And uh, we're going to take that off the next month's rent if you choose not to pay us. And he's he read it and he was like, well, I've never done anything like this before, <laughs> but I will sign it, and um, because you know he wanted to rent out the house, and I was like, wow, I didn't realize i had not expect him to sign that, and uh, it worked. Like you know, it, our rent was significantly reduced for the first few months I was in there before we broke up. Um, our rent was like three hundred dollars cheaper. I I capped I it out at three hundred dollars, but you can find these waivers what are they called uh contracts online and you just change it it's a length it's called a it's called a renter landlord lease addendum and, and you look it up for your state right and then you just fill in the blanks and change what you need to change but essentially it's gonna they're all say similar things this is like this contract works in conjunction with the lease that we signed and this is how this is how renters have to stand up for their our rights you know uh, we have to be able to say you won't evict me if I blank or I need, I actually need to be living here for two years. You can't, evict, you can't just sell the house after one year because the market's up, which is happening to lots of people, you know? So, yeah, it's
1: happening to me right now. That's what they're trying to do. Wait, what is, what is this document called that I can find like a
0: template for? A renter? It's a, t- yeah, it's called like a lease addendum. Lease addendum. All right. We'll um, get into that. yeah. And it's, it's addendum just means addition, right? Mm-hmm to whatever lease you sign. And uh, okay. and you can just put whatever you want in there. Just just try to use the, the most clear legal speech you can. And one thing I learned from talking to a few lawyers, um, I'm a dog trainer and I trained a few dogs whose ha- owners happen to be lawyers. And they told me that the, the legalese doesn't have to be perfect because these people aren't gonna have super high-powered lawyers that can deconstruct your lease addendum. The fact that they sign something is good enough. Doesn't, doesn't have to be written by a lawyer at all to be admissible in court because the intent was there. They signed something knowingly mm-hmm. with the intent that of, of what the general meaning was. The, and the, and the, everything else was very clear in the wording. Yeah. And if they're gonna fight you in court, they're gonna need a whole team of lawyers. They're not gonna do that. It's way easier to just give you 300 bucks a month. Yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah. Mm. So it's there, the power's there. We just need to take it back.
1: Yeah, great point. Um, yeah, also a lot of people don't realize when they sign a lease that many many things in a lease are illegal, yes. like according to the tenant laws of wherever you live. And they'll still put them in the lease because most people don't realize that they have any recourse. But if it comes down to it, if they're illegal by the laws of the land, those things are not enforceable just because you signed a lease that happened to have them there. You know, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, m- so my situation... We moved into this place in uh, September and uh, we furnished it really nicely. You know, the place looked great. Um, we have two roommates that also like our roommates as well as on. I didn't I didn't really bring shit because I'm, I'm, I was coming from L.A. I can't really get that much stuff here, but they had a ton of beautiful furniture that they brought. Um, mm-hmm. The landlord comes to see the place shortly after because we had some issues with a window. And he's like, "Wow, you! This place looks great. You really did such a beautiful job." I'm not gonna. Do, he has a very thick Hasidic Jewish accent that I'm not going to do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he was like, "Oh, the place is incredible. It's wonderful." Um, I'm gonna put it on the market. I feel like I can get. I'm gonna have an appraiser come to the house and take a look wow. at it now that it looks so good, and mm-hmm. and you know, get a better price for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we're like, oh, great! That's that's Fuck. never a good sign, you know. Yeah. If, if anything, he's probably gonna if he's getting an appraisal, he's probably gonna raise the rent at the end of the year. Yeah. If if we get the sign again, mm-hmm. um, but then what began was the most insane. Um, he was like, oh, I, I'm gonna have uh some prospective buyers come by the house, which, you know, uh most lease agreements will stipulate that uh, the landlord has to give you notice in advance. to come. They can't just drop by the house or mm-hmm. open the door. You know, it's your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the issue wasn't so much with him, the landlord. The issue was with this realtor that uh, ha- has the contract for the place. Uh, I have never known a person so tenacious to the point of being like profoundly unaware and like delusional um mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what they can and should do uh this this person started bringing um prospective buyers by the house mm-hmm. like way too often and we talked to the mm-hmm. landlord about it and he was like oh no no no, i'm sorry i told her uh like one visit every two weeks max um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, I, you know, at one point, I told her that. I was like, hey, you know, this is what the landlord said. Uh, the, and you, you, we expect you to respect that. Um, yeah. And she uh, sent me, like, the most... Just started sending, like, unhinged, like, page-long messages about... She was like, you don't have to be so anal about uh the every every two weeks rule and like uh if i if i don't get these people in then they're gonna find another house uh which is like okay that i mean do you you, do you realize that that's not my problem like i'm (laughs) I'm, you know okay you want to it's not great i don't really want you i don't i don't want you to sell the place to begin with it does it doesn't do anything for me i'm not getting a commission off the sale um but like you know, we, we were being reasonable. Um, but mm. she just starts like free. She's like sending texts at like 10 p.m. Whoa. Um, Whoa. And so we told the landlord, and he was like, uh, if, uh, you know, uh, I'm disgusted by the message that she sent, and I'll take care of it." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she's not going to be by the house.
0: Damn, and these people uh, are getting scrappy for their for their fucking money these days. We're getting oh scrappy God, fighting over fighting over fucking peanuts. Anyway, sorry.
1: Well, I looked it up and she if she sells the place, she gets like a 40k commission.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: So, so you know, no wonder if she's like mm-hmm. willing to But anyway, she uh she was like, "I'm bringing people by the house at this time," um and in the group message, I was like, uh, "No," like the, the, the messages you have been sending are inappropriate and I'm, I'm not comfortable with you coming by the house. And also, you know, it's been, it hasn't like you just had people here. It hasn't been two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, you know, I thought that was it. I thought the landlord was going to take care of it. The day comes, we're sit, sitting down to dinner. It's like 7 PM. Mm-hmm. And we, and we get a text and she's like, I'm coming. <laughs> and then there's we see somebody out the window f- uh, fiddling with the lockbox and she's like trying to get in the house Whoa. um anyway w- what ends up happening is she like she she starts banging on the door i open the door i was like what are you doing here like we told you like you're not welcome in our home anymore like the, you've been acting completely unprofessionally and she like physically physically what? forces her way in the house she grabs the door out of the my realtor? hand Oh, yes yeah. knocks oh. over a bunch of stuff uh you know accidentally knocks over i think accidentally knocks over a bunch of stuff but it's like this whole calamity and it turns nice. into this standoff in the like entryway oh to the God. house <laughs> and it and this just kicks off this whole saga because as soon as i saw that she was like outside i set up a camera and i was like oh okay i gotta film this in case yeah know, what's gonna happen <laughs> um which of course i put on instagram
0: of course because yeah it,
1: if nothing else, it's just hilarious to watch. Um, anyway, you know, uh, we we don't let her in. Um, she argues for like forty five minutes about it, and wow, uh, eventually, I bet leaves. you
0: the, the prospective buyer is feeling pretty awkward at this point.
1: Yeah, like, what do you think is gonna happen? You think they're gonna like? How do you think this is going to go if this is how how you're handling it? I even said to them, "I was like, I'm sorry, folks. Like, this isn't your fault. This has nothing to do with you." Um, okay. Mm. And uh, right. so, but after that, we were like, okay, that's the end of that. Like, that was extremely awkward. Like, we had to file a police report because it was breaking and entering. Oh yeah, um, wow. You know, I'm I'm hesitant to involve police in any matter, but when it's police versus landlords, you know, kind of let them let them fight it out amongst themselves. You know, uh, yeah. What is it? Was the expression "the devil on your
0: the enemy of my enemy is my friend"?
1: <coughs> sure, that works too. Mm-hmm. Uh, birds of a feather. Fuck landlords <laughs> um, so yeah I thought I was like that's the end of it but a few weeks later I look up from my desk this woman is in my house with oh, my prospective God. buyers I the landlord said that she was not coming back said he fired her from the house but she is like I'm in my Whoa. bedroom and I look into the hallway and she she's is back anyways yes I am shocked hmm. um, Wow. Uh, Anna tells her to leave she's like get out of my mm-hmm. house we told you you're not allowed to, to be here then she says, "Like I'm coming back." She leaves to get some more people, and she's like, "I'm coming back. I expect the, I expect professionalism, whatever." And we're like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, we we already filed a police report against you. Like, you should not be in this house. You are breaking the law now."
0: And Who so the we, hell, do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so this time we call the police. You know, it takes them an hour to get there, but eventually they get there, and. Uh, you know, it becomes clear at this point that the landlord is not being honest with us because he said that he yeah. that she was fired. But he's telling her, oh, yeah, he's playing both sides and he's telling her like, oh, it's fine. You know, you know it's fine. You mm. just have to go and blah, blah, blah. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. To, I don't know where her delusion stops and his begins. Mm. Um, even when the police were there he he called us to be like can you just do me a favor can you just let her in with these people this is like the third time he's had to be like oh can you just do me a favor like um and and i'm on speakerphone with him there with the police Mm -hmm. and then he's asking the police to do him a favor and just let these people come in and look at the house what yeah and this and this cop in a rare like human moment he was like, uh, "Like, no, that's not that's not our job. They, they are the tenants; they pay rent, so you know that's, yeah. that's up to them." I'm not gonna like the what
0: fucking do, nerve of these people! What
1: does he expect them to do? Like, tase us and let these people look at the house?
0: Yeah, <laughs> the, the the fucking nerve yeah. of these people! It 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 just goes to show that it's an abusive relationship. Like, this is what happens.
1: Yes, inherently
0: textbook in in abusive relationships, it, it gets worse and worse. They push more and more boundaries until one day you're like, "What the?" Hell, are you doing what? What makes you think this is okay? And you're like, and you realize it's all the other stuff that I said was okay. Yeah, made them think that this is okay.
1: But you know, this is what happens when like a realtor sees the current tenants, you know, not as like someone whose home that you are a guest in, but just mm-hmm. as like a pest. Oh, that, yeah, you know, just another pest that needs to be dealt with in the process of selling a house.
0: Totally. I know a couple people who uh, own property that uh, were rented out by people. Course they're millionaires, you know, they're making bank off of these poor people, literally. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the mentality that they have. It's it's inescapable. It's part of the culture of being a landlord. Is is you think these people owe you the money and they're all bums for not being able to give it to you. They're all slacking and they're all assholes, and it's your right to kick them out. Yeah. It's part of the yeah,
1: toxic culture. Yeah. They think they're they're creating housing for people as opposed to camping out
0: on housing. Yeah, it's really infuriating cuz yeah, they think it's that they're doing them a favor because they'll put in a few renovations and, and then up the price significantly. And the renovations cost them a few thousand and then they're charging they're making that much in rent every every month. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. like act like they're doing a good deed and you're like mm-hmm. you, you realize you're you're totally taking advantage of a system, right? Like if 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 this was tribal times, like and one of your neighbors TP burns down, mm-hmm. and you work. You all work together and like build build another TP. Mm-hmm. You know the guy who provided the supplies. He happened to have some ex, extra TP supplies. He 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 looks at the and he says, "Oh, we built you a home. Aren't you happy?" And you go, yeah, thanks. Now I have somewhere to live. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna freeze mm-hmm. to death when yeah. in the fucking winter. If if that if that motherfucker decided some at some point to be like, you just need to pay me back by giving me you know some of your food yeah. every fucking
1: day 40% of your everybody
0: else in the tribe would look at him and be like what are you talking about you asshole you you just helped him yeah. <laughs> you just gave him a place to to stay cuz he was going to die and now you're charging him for it yeah. you know like
1: <clears throat> that's a great metaphor um and that's the end of the story um you know that was that was the last stand and we haven't heard much from them since which might mean that the house is in contract. I don't know if they actually mm-hmm. found a, a buyer, but um, yeah. you know, now it's just an issue of like, all of this constitutes landlord harassment, which is a you know a real thing that you can withhold rent for if it comes to it. So it's just a question of do we want to do that and to what degree? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, originally it was just oh, we'd like to re up the lease at the end of the year, and we don't know if a new owner is going to do that. But now it's also an issue of like, this has just become a, a an annoying conflict and an imposition on our quality of life and ability to enjoy the home. Yeah. But other than that, everything's been great. (laughs)
0: Okay, good. I mean, this, this, this topic just hits really close to home for me because the exact same thing happened to me when we moved into that other place, which is what really was the incentive for us to drop this big contract. You know, our previous place was rented to us by this guy. He, He seemed like a good landlord, you know, even yeah. even the good ones are duplicitous you know toxic assholes because they're it's kind of like the whole all cops are bastards thing like the very fact that they're participating yeah. in this game in such a way makes them assholes by yeah, you know you can litigate a person to
1: person as an individual are they like pleasant or you know polite people but it's an inherently mm-hmm. exploitive position yeah so just by taking it and by you know perpetuating that system you're on, you're kind of on the hook for that as an individual or as a you know as a system doesn't matter
0: yeah i mean this guy this guy had to had to kick us out because the market price went high and he was going through some shit like he needed the money and uh, we were like okay we understand you got to kick us out then we find out that he he said the exact same thing to the previous tenants and kicked mm-hmm. them out and then rented out the place mm. from our neighbor and the neighbor was so pissed and i was like oh man i can't believe that just It's happening again and this is a family like it was me and sarah and the little guy i'm not going to say his name for privacy purposes but the little you know Mm -hmm. three and a half year old kiddo at the time are getting kicked out we're not really you don't have a lot of money you know we're we're being told that we we had planned when we signed the contract with him we signed a lease We said we're planning on staying for two or three years and he changed it on us and said no you need to get out at the end of the year because i need to sell it Mm And what he doesn't realize is he's uprooting a family, making us go through one of the top five stressors of your entire life for a kid that's already had way too much stress in his life with his biological father and everything. And it's just a sad situation. You're like, I can't believe you're doing this. Like I I tried to talk him out of it in like five different ways, you know, and he was just like, "Ah, you know, I just really got to do it. You know, I'm sorry, man. It really hurts. Like, Mm -hmm. no, you fucking don't. Anyways, I come up with some kind of deal with him where I we find another place that ends up working better for us, anyways. And I make the guy pay for the move. Yeah. He tries to weasel out of it, but I make him pay for the moving cost and the cleaning cost of the house, even though we did a lot of it, you know. So that was my way of getting back at him or whatever. But I mean, even even the good ones are bad is I guess the moral of the story, you know. Yeah. Just by virtue of the fact, the only time, time I think it's actually um okay ethically to be a landlord is when you are also living on the property so like let's say you have a house that you want a casita that you want to rent out or a room that you want to rent out to a person and you're living there too then it kind of makes sense because you need help paying for the mortgage on this one this one house that you own and you have this empty space and somebody needs a space and they should pay you for that like to me that makes sense because you're you're living in it you're not you're not so disconnected from it well this kind of segues into that last topic I wanted to talk about was about the ultra rich. So there's there's different types of rich people out there. There's the you know rich people who are like millionaires, like landlords and they have that greed issue. And then there's the ultra rich, which is like I don't know, maybe 50 million dollars and above, which they're so sick and so consumed with greed that we need to like figure out a a method for dealing with them. So far we've all been jokingly kind of saying let's eat them <laughs> eat the rich <laughs> chop off their heads and that's obviously not a good solution but we need to find a solution that we can all agree on so i have an idea
3: <laughs> Shoot.
0: they should be treated uh as addicts which is what they are they're addicted to money and power and any addict if it, like you say like a drug addict would be taken to it would be recommended that they go to treatment Um, These people don't get that luxury anymore. They need to be, they need treatment. They need to be put into um, a treatment for addiction and they should have their assets, anything over $50 million should be just taken away from them and given to the rest of the people. We're just taking away their assets like you would with anybody with a mental illness. Signing over to to the state, the country forcibly to to be reallocated to the people.
1: Well, yeah, and there's a word for that for taking away their assets, it's called taxation. You know? And if <laughs> yeah, you, if there was a realistic, you know, or or as you accrue more wealth a weighted uh capital gains tax and a realistic estate tax, as opposed to the exact opposite where you're taxed less as you as you gain more, then you know, yeah, that's not like so beyond the pale as a concept to think think about yeah. as something maybe we should do mm-hmm. as a civilization.
0: Yeah, it's obvious, but I guess the key difference is like Looking at them as though they have a mental illness instead of looking at them as either heroes or people to be killed.
1: Yeah, I like that as a, and you look at them as someone with an addiction, in other words, with compassion. Not that we as a society really view addicts with compassion either. That's a whole other thing, but you know, that's how addiction should be addressed with with compassion because it is, yeah, addiction is real. And that is, that is in a way, yeah, like like if you're addicted to ketamine. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is it the right thing to do to take away a heroin user's access to heroin, put them into treatment until they can decide whether they want to actually use heroin or not, instead of like this unconscious process where you're just like reaching for it every time it's around? Oh, I quit. uh,
1: I quit two addictions too. That's another another positive. Ooh,
0: I I was wondering about Um, that.
1: I quit kratom.
0: Uh Nice, (laughs) nice, and uh,
1: and, and vaping. The two. Wow two most nice. um two most malicious addictions of our no i mean it's whatever freedom <laughs> is like
0: it's heroin light it's can a serious it, you can get thing Get it at
1: a corner store it's not like i'm it's, shooting up an alley but yeah it's heroin light sure it's an opioid. it opiate. should
0: it should be regulated and it will be in a few months yeah probably. probably
1: eventually yeah and vaping i mean forget about it that's we all know how addictive that yeah. is
0: that's awesome man That's good ketamine uh, that's VI. awesome dude yeah I was going to say ketamine might have helped with that a little bit because yeah. it treats substitute treat addiction. Or just being happy and not needing it. Right. Like I've also it. been praying for you. <laughs> I don't know if that makes a difference. <gasps> but. Aww. Yeah. I, I've i been praying
2: more and praying for people more and reading the Bible more. It's yeah. been part of my that's, journey this year. That's great. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I think I do believe in the power of prayer. I've seen it at work in Sweat Lodge.
2: You know what I mean? It like, works for me.
0: Yeah. works for me every day.
2: Because mm. I, I feel like if anything i've been doing great but people around me have felt like extra heavy and extra i don't know weighed down by something and so it just kind of feels like there's an extra layer of stuff to work through
0: mm. muck yeah I mean, reminds me of that phrase the lotus rises from the muck oh yeah what's that from it's like a buddhist there. term huh. it's like yeah when things are particularly mucky uh-huh. everybody is affected by it but every once in a while there's a there's a lotus that rides oh, from it in nature and it's an it's a symbol it's a uh, analogy or a symbolism for what happens in in human psychology as well in a group of a mucky a really mucky situation like maybe a war or famine or something every once in a while something kind of you know pops up something mm-hmm. kind of beautiful is learned from that experience from a person who decides to take it a different way yeah it's really cool mm-hmm. so. yeah <laughs>